Scripture reading for today comes to us, continues to come to us from John's first letter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, then you can read along in the bulletin insert on the back of the outline. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not come in the flesh, or I'm sorry, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I'm quaking before you and before my friends because this is a hard passage. And if they knew better, they might be quaking in their seats. And yet you are here working within us. In fact, it's that very spirit that you have left behind for us, that Jesus Christ said that he would send when he ascends, when he ascended, that gives us confidence that we can read and understand your word, to know who you are, to know why you matter, to know who Jesus is, to know these things for our salvation and for your glory. And so, Lord, be gracious to us sinners, because apart from you, we're nothing and we know nothing about reality. Lord, just peel those blinds from our eyes and from our hearts so that we can see what's going on, what is true and what is real, so that we can cling to what is enduring and not what will fade away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, it is wonderful to be here before you all, and, you know, with John gone, and Jen and Brandon gone, and Jim on v uh, down in Florida, so it's just me, and is Karen here? Karen Connolly, can you raise your hand if you're here? All right, so, <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> so... We can turn off the recorder and we can just kind of do what we're, so I can take, no, just kidding. So, <laughs> um, the jacket stays on because I'm a good Presbyterian. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So, if you need me to take it off to show you that I'm kidding, I'll do it, really. Yeah? All right. Um, you know, there's, uh, there are so many movies out there that talk about some kind of hidden reality, whether it's some kind of conspiracy theory that links everything together and it's just sinking right 
below the surface, but no one knows about it except for like a few of the key characters and the antagonists of the movie. And then, you know, the people who find out and like have their, those blinds, you know, dissolved. They're now being hunted by those people who are trying to keep that conspiracy going on, right? Or things like, uh, you know, the movie that really just kind of captured that for just a whole decade is The Matrix, right? At the beginning, if you went in not knowing what the movie was about, you just thought that Keanu Reeves was some kind of like pencil-pushing, you know, office jockey who had tried moonlighting as a little hacker or something, and you thought, oh, now it's going to be that he found one secret that was too big to, to know, and now the bad guys are after him until he pops that red pill and realizes nothing is as it seems, all right? I think Twilight kind of captures this for a whole bunch of you teeny boppers and tweeners and everything, and, you know, just that there's a secret world of vampires and werewolves going on, and are you Team Jacob or Team Edward, you know, and, you know, just when will it end? That's my question, not theirs. I'm just dying for it to end. Um, we are drawn to these things, and I don't think it's because we're drawn to them out of sheer boredom from our lives. And wow, wouldn't it be great if there were something more exciting that were just tying us together? I don't think that's it. Really, I don't. And I hope that you don't consider that you're living some kind of boring life, all right? I think all of us tap into that. I think that movies continue to be made in this vein because some part of us resonates with that. Some part of us resonates with the idea that things are more than they seem. That, you know, a la X-Files in the 90s, the truth is out there, all right? And something is going on amidst all of it, all around us. I think that captures us. And the reason it does is because it's true. Our passage right here, John, the evangelist, the elder who writes this, you know, the disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle of this early church. He affirms that as much. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, which is to say that there are spirits around you and they want to get you to believe them. There are spirits around you and they want to get you to believe them. That's what he's saying right there. Otherwise, that sentence makes no sense, does it? Now, I think that a lot of people, a lot of Christians who come to this passage just kind of get like, all right, how do I, how do I work this? How do, make, how, do, how do I make sense of this? And I'll tell you how, you know, just in some parts of the world, people legitimately understand this. All right, if you're in a world that is like, for instance, I prayed for Benin and I prayed for Haiti and voodoo and paganism, when those things are just rampant, and typically what happens in those nations is technology and communication and education are really low because paganism and voodoo really thrives in darkness and isolation. And in those places, you actually see what, you know, the Acts of the Apostles or what the Gospels talk about. You see demon possessions. You see these things, and they are just frothing. They are just these evil and demonic voices. And you see it much more in those kinds of places than I'll say, than you see them here. Not that they don't happen in first world countries, not that they don't happen in Western civilization or America, but they happen more frequently. And any missionary to some bush area is going to be able to tell you that. And so, 
test those spirits and you're going to be able to say, because a lot of times they're going to be spewing some kind of heresy. And you can test them and say, hey, you know, just do you acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh and is from God? And they'll say no, because any true demon is not going to be able to affirm that. All right? And so this is one way that people, and I, I will say rightly, have interpreted it. But then if that's the only interpretation, then most of us who don't find these demoniacs, you know, running around in our apartment buildings or at our workplaces, you know, you don't have too many lunchtime exorcisms. Most of us just might feel that we don't really have a lot of access to this passage. But that, that is where I'm going to show you that you're wrong. The reason that this passage is so important, all right, the reason that I'm going to call on you to test this, that Scripture calls on you to test the spirits is for three things. Because they're all around us, or I'm sorry, they're working all around us. They're working in the people that we come into contact with, and they're working in us, all right? So they're working all around us. They're working in the people you come into contact with, whether it's the people in your family you work with, you go to church with, and they're working in us. Well, if it's happening, if, the, if these spirits are working in just that kind of comprehensive way, then there is no chance that we should be avoiding this truth. And that, I think, is how a lot of us live. A lot of us don't think about just, and this is what's called spiritual warfare that is actively going on, all right? Now, you know, just to, so we're going to get into some pretty heady stuff here. You can say that this is pneumatology, study of the Holy Spirit, and demonology, all right, and these things. But it's right there in Scripture, plain as day. And so we've got to, we have no choice but to follow along. So let's go together. So this first point then, they're working all around us. So watch out. You must be discerning. Be on guard. You know, when I was in the Air Force, we had like all these motivational posters all in our bases and office buildings and everything. And one of them stuck with me. One of them like with two uh, F-16s, like just flying. It said, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. Ah, oh, that's one of those things to get your patriotic lather running, isn't it? So eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. You're constantly on the defense. You're constantly patrolling. You are constantly aware that what you hold precious is under attack. And so you must hang on to it. You must consider that. Otherwise, you're going blind into a fight that you didn't realize was happening. And, you know, just uh, I love the movie The Usual Suspects. I don't know if I've given the ending away before in messages, but I won't give it away this time. But there's this character. Kevin Spacey plays Verbal Kint, all right, so who... You see him as a low-life, you know, just a criminal, you know, with a, as a group of five other, you know, with a band of five, five criminals. And his line, you know, that just stays with me, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Some of you actually mouthed that along with me, so you know what? You know where I'm going with this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. 
You see, the reason that I believe that Satan doesn't work in full-on demonic possessions and that kind of thing in America quite as much as you might see in just, uh, just real areas of poverty and no communication, education, those sort of things, is because he's got so much other stuff to work with here. All right? When you have constant online access and communication and a limitless number of TV channels and movies and websites to visit, you know, you can go after a whole lot of people in a general corruptive way than going after any one specific person and trying to raise fear that way. But the goal of the enemy, the goal of Satan is still the same, to tear down any work of God as much as he is able to. And so I'm going to tell you, just I'm going to give you like through some age-appropriate ways, going from young to old uh, or older, the, uh, you know, just where this is working. And I'm going to start with the insidious Berenstain Bears. Do you know who the Berenstain Bears are? They're a kid's book, all right? So a little children's book with Papa Bear, Mama Bear, Brother Bear, and Sister Bear, all right? Oh, and they're evil. So how? How are they? You know, and this is, this is what we give to our preschool kids. This is what we read to them. And actually, they'll be reading it as little readers in elementary school, you know, and they, they hit it big, so they've got a, a cartoon, you know, so those episodes are, you know, on demand on Verizon, at least, I mean, which means Comcast has to have them, or Optimum, or whatever you've got. And so kids can watch this nonstop if they want. And why are they, why are they worthy of me calling them out first? All right, there's this book, The Berenstain Bears and the Gimmies, and Brother and Sister Bear. This is going to sound familiar. They're going with Mama and Papa Bear to the supermarket, and they are clamoring and complaining to have, get stuff that they want. They want the marshmallow fluff bear. All right? They want to eat the marshmallow fluff bear. They want to buy that. They each have one. And they say, Mama, Papa, can we have this? And Mama and Papa say, no, you can't have that right now. And they throw a fit. They throw a tantrum. All right? The story goes on. And Mama Bear and Papa Bear are just exasperated. And the kids aren't happy. And then Grandpa Bear comes and says, oh, Papa Bear, you don't remember that you had a strong case of the gimmies growing up too. And then Grandpa Bear, in his sagely way, says, listen, you hold back, you know, saying what you want, and so you'll get it later. You just kind of stay quiet and behave, and they'll give it, you're going to give them reason to give it to you later. And so at the end of the book, you know, just the whole family goes, and Brother Bear and Sister Bear are seeing another set of, uh, another family who's got the gimmies. And Brother Bear and Sister Bear are going, well, man, they just don't know how to do and get what they want. And let me tell you that that is from the deepest pits of hell, all right? So, and I'm quoting my, uh, well, actually paraphrasing my dear professor, David Pallison. Um, so this is in a, a big class, Theology and Secular Psychology, and this book gets to be in part of that class. And why is it so insidious? Because it's blatant behaviorism. What the, this book is teaching the kids is how to manipulate their parents. They're saying, you don't, you're not depriving yourself, 
You're just playing it smart. Now, I'm going to be fair to the Berenstain Bears because I found it on YouTube and I was going to show it, but they changed the ending. They changed the ending and now it shows Brother Bear and Sister Bear giving their, some toys, you know, to a donation bin for, for, other, for bears who are less fortunate than them. And so maybe, maybe they saw just how disgusting and vile that the lesson uh, that they were trying to teach with that. But, you know, just this happens from a little kid's, kid's level, all right? And Berenstain Bears is just one example. Can you, do you know how many other places that this is coming out in education? California just passed, and now it's at the governor, Jerry Brown's desk. They just passed a law that says that they have to teach gay history as part of all their history classes, all right? And they're saying, the positive reason that they're saying it for is that they've got to do this in order to end the bullying, all right? And to show that there are great accomplishments and contributions that gay Americans have given and gay people have given throughout history, all right? Now, you know, if you were here for in November when I preached on Sodom from Genesis and homosexuality, you know that it's not about hating gays. In fact, it's about loving them because... They need our love, and if we're not going to show them the love of Christ, where are they going to get it from? All right, but laws are being passed. Who do you think is working those laws? Do they just happen? Or is there a work of false spirits who are seeking to deny Jesus Christ? You see, when this, uh, this verse right here, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's not just saying a litmus test, hey, can you say this? People might lie to you, all right? It's not just this, you know, just, okay, you're in, you're out that way. But following the character of people and following, all right, what are these trends that are just moving? All right, in New York, all right, we, uh, Governor Cuomo, recently made gay marriage legal in this state. And now, this is very different, and I know that we fall, many of us fall on different sides of the political spectrum and arguments, and I think that just serves to benefit our church because we all care about things that other people don't care about as much, and I hope that bringing us together will cause us to have better coverage of those who need our love and care. But on gay marriage, let me say that that was never the issue, all right? If it was about the relationships, because there are sob stories, there are really sad stories of people who have loved each other their whole lives, and then they're not even allowed to be in by them by, at the deathbed in the hospitals because they aren't a family member. Or they've invested and made a home and they've contributed equally and all that, but now because they weren't real family members, you know, just the property is given to someone else entirely, and someone is made destitute. And those things are wrong. But those things could have been addressed within the bounds of the law. Marriage is a biblical concept. Marriage is laid out to us from Scripture. Husband of but one, uh, you know, just uh, elders are told, husband of but one wife, all right? One man, one woman, all right? Ancient cultures have not held to that, and it was Christianity that started just narrowing it down because even the Israelites, some of them have multiple wives. And you can think of our fathers Abraham and David, you know, and there are others. So it's a biblical and New Testament concept then 
But what Governor Cuomo has, Cuomo has done, has, he has rewritten the definition of marriage off a biblical ground into something that is just holy and completely different. Now, one of the things that they kind of gave as a defense to the church, because churches were saying, so we can be sued then by any couple who wants to come and be married in our church. And we say that by biblical grounds, we disagree. And so they, they left that in there saying that, no, we can, as churches, religious organizations can, you know, withhold. But, but let me tell you that once laws change, more laws change. All right? Now, what does this do in your hearts? All right? You know, those, some of you might listen to these things, read it in Newsday or, you know, just the Times or watch it on the news. And some of you just kind of tune it out because it's just not really that important to you. Some of you get really angry and start despising all of these people who bring these things about, these changes. Can't, why can't they leave us alone? And if I stereotype you into those two groups, there's got to be a third way. You must be concerned of what's going on in this world around us, right? But that concern isn't one of worry, it's not one of fear, and it's not one of hate. Let us respond in love, but let us respond. Be on guard, all right? Uh, I kind of jumped over the teen set, you know, and I'm going to say that Lady Gaga, all right, in her latest song, Judas, all right, but again, Lady Gaga is one who is very pro you know, the homosexuality, even though she says she herself is not. She says she wishes she was. And her songs reflect that. Katy Perry of I Kissed a Girl fame, and so on and so forth. You know, just, but, you know, I'm going to say that there, you know, I said this in my Revelation class in this, uh, this spring. Anne Hathaway, and some of you know her from Ella Enchanted, from The Princess Diaries, from, I mean, just great movies. And she's a wonderful actress. But at President Obama's inauguration, she went there with her father wearing a black ribbon. And she said in a very intelligent and calm manner that that black ribbon was protesting Rick Warren's prayer. All right, Rick Warren is the pastor of Saddleback Church. And she was protesting Rick Warren because he preaches that homosexuality, according to Scripture, is a sin. And Anne's brother happens to be gay. You know, I love Anne. I'm a lot more fearful of her and her subtle and yet strong influence than I am of just, you know, just uh, shock artists like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. But it's not just that. You have TV shows like Glee and Degrassi or The X-Men, all right, comic books, where now there are gay characters in everything and everywhere, all right? I hope I'm not belaboring a point, and that's pretty much where I'm going to end it for this part of the message. But it's coming at us from all these directions. It's atmospheric. All right? These spirits who are actually, and then one other one that's happened in New York recently. New York City, has, the federal court has recently ruled that schools can ban churches from renting them as meeting places. Do you know how many churches rent schools and worship in New York City? We don't have as many movie theaters as other places, and there sure aren't great gathering places. And do you know how expensive real estate and building a church would actually be? All right, our sister church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, meets at Hunter. All right, what's going to happen if someone complains? 
And so with all of this, I'm going to say, we see all these ways that Satan is working to try to harm and deceive God's people and the, and the mission of the gospel. So ask for eyes to see and ears that hear. But then, these false spirits are working in others all around us. So look out. You must see whose they are. All right? And that's not just in a, good, a bad way, but also in a good way. You must see what spirit is active in the heart of your neighbor, your friend, your family member. You know, I'm talking to a lot of college uh, parents who are sending their kids off to college, and they're concerned. They're very concerned. And I don't see uh, Hugo and Linda Rosero worrying about sending uh, Josh to Hofstra and that he rounds a corner and then all of a sudden a demon jumps into him and possesses him. All right? But, you know, just who is he going to meet? And how is he going to allow himself to be influenced by these people? How is he going to influence others? How is he going to know and discern what is active in them and what they desire? You know, and these parents, they should be considering these things. And, uh, and some of them look a little bit worried. Of course, it doesn't help, help when tell Amy Sullivan that, yeah, I bet you Sarah's going to get hit on by at least 15 guys in the first semester. So... Um, but it's more than that. Who they meet, all right? Let me put it to you this way. Abby, my daughter, is going to kindergarten this fall, and I'm so glad that she gets to go with Andrea's daughter, Marin, and some of the other girls that she's met in VBS and uh, preschool. But the question is, who will she be friends with? What are they like? What are their parents like? You know, as parents, uh, young kids, and then as they get older, I think it happens at every stage. It continues to happen. You should concern yourself with these things because there is spirits, false spirits or the Spirit of God working in them, and they will seek to persuade, to entice, and to draw your kids as believers away from the one way, truth, and the life. You know, we need to be discerning. I, um, I was working at my parents' health food store one, uh, one day, and, and my dad has Christian literature everywhere, and he evangelized to everyone to, that comes in. So, you know, if you're coming into Plainfield Health Food Store at 218B East Front Street in Plainfield, New Jersey, you're going to get the gospel. And so, you know, just I, uh, I like to follow in the footsteps of my father. And this mother and young daughter, about seven or six, came in. Then they were uh, Spanish-speaking, and... And uh, I, I knew Spanish at one point, and so I'm just striking up a conversation. My dad even has Spanish literature, not that he knows a lick of Spanish, but, and find out that they say, hey, we're Christians too, all right? So, and I'm like, that's wonderful. It's wonderful that we, that we are brother and sisters in Christ. It's wonderful that we have one common hope. This is terrific, all right? But then, and because I saw you know, just uh, Mormons coming around and they were evangelizing to stores and, and uh, homes in the area. I said, but you have to be careful, all right? It's something like, uh, you know, just, uh, I don't know, just have, all right, so, tiene cuidado para, you know, culta mormones, all right? So you have to be careful, all right, for uh, the cult of the, of the Mormons, all right? I didn't say it was good Spanish, all right? But this is like, you know, trying to do that. And I said that Mormons aren't Christians. 
And then at that moment, that little girl replied, Mormons are Christians. And then everything fell apart from there. You know, who do you know? And how do you know them? You know, this is one reason I love our fellowship groups. We get to, because you get to hear and find out how awful Jody Simonson is to her poor husband, Roger. I mean, Roger, I'm so sorry for you. And, you know, I visited Bill Melcher's small group on, on Thursday, and uh, no, Ro Josie's wonderful, so I'm just kidding. But you get to find out, and people reveal and make themselves vulnerable and say, you know, these are the things that's going on in me. These are the, the, the war that the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist is, is waging within me because I know what I should do, but I want to do these other things. Or this is how it's come out, is I've been snippy or how I've avoided my spouse, or I've gotten angry with my child. Right here, this passage is calling on you to know your neighbor, not to simply coexist with them, but to know them truly. And why? What do you do when you find out that the Holy Spirit is in that person? You want to see more of the Spirit in that person. You want to love that person. You want to be a reminder to that person that their hope, just as it's your hope, is Jesus Christ. And so cling to Christ in your whole life. You want to live with them. You want to get to know them. And so the fellowship groups, at this point, I've been to all but one, and they're doing wonderful jobs. And so if you can, please join one. And if any get too big, we'll, we'll make more, all right? So we have to be on guard because not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. You know, pedophiles have said that they target churches because Christians are just kind of really welcoming and open and just are fine just letting anyone in. And that's as it should be. And when newcomers tell me, and they tell me a lot, and I'm really blessed by this, that we're a welcoming church, I love hearing that. I want us to give the welcome of Jesus Christ to all those who come here. But at the same time, we have to know where they're coming from. What is it that they believe? And to be unafraid to get serious on that level with them. You know, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? All right? How is that a joy to you? All right? And then we do, and in our small groups, we do great studies. I mean, you know, some of them might even start doing a, a confession or a catechism study to find what is true in Scripture. We have to know. All right? Pedophiles will come in and, and they volunteer. Hey, I love kids. Every church is strapped for kids, volunteers for children's ministry. And so can you imagine and being not discerning and letting, letting monsters into, you know, just close proximity to our young ones. Let us be careful and understand that just as, you know, I mean, just no one is devoid of some spirit working in them, all right? And again, we're very clear on this. Scripture is very clear. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ or the Spirit of the Antichrist. It's very binary. It's one or the other. But we get to the final point of the message. These spirits are working in us. Now, how is that encouraging when I've just said that? There might be false spirits even working in us. Because this passage also says, and if you need, you know, I love this verse. It's kind of like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 4 says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
You know what John is writing right here? You've won. You have won. You have won because Jesus Christ has won on the cross. You have won. Not because of anything you have done. And you need to remind yourself of this. Because that spirit that says that, hey, I've done well on my own. Or, man, I've made myself something that Jesus can be proud of. All right, Jesus is going to accept me now because I'm good and I've been good for a while. No, that's not. In fact, that is a false spirit that needs to be gotten rid of. The Holy Spirit of God tells you, you have but one rescue. You have but one recourse, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. He has done it because you couldn't and wouldn't and didn't. But because Jesus has done it, Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Jesus Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That means that everything that we deserve to be judged for, Jesus took in himself and paid for it on the cross. Everything that we've ever done, everything that we will ever do. And so because of that, this is encouraging. The Holy Spirit of God is working in us, so speak out. You must remember whose you are. You know, you've got, you have to remember that other people have an identity too. Other people are either in Christ or they're not in Christ and have some other identity. But you must remember that your identity is in Jesus. And because that is your identity, you must speak out. Have you ever had good news and not and felt not compelled to share it? All right. I mean, last year, I stood before you as a guest, and, and uh, I had just bought the Apple iPad, and you guys heard about it. The next Apple computer I buy, you can guarantee you're going to hear about it. Next year, when, Lord willing, I'm done with all my credit card debt, you're going to hear about it. All right? So who of you haven't, you know, just your mortgage, I mean, just and sad to say, maybe a lot of you, your mortgages aren't paid off. But when that happened, didn't you start telling people about it? You've got a great job. Praise God. You tell people about it. How much more is the good news, excuse me, the good news of Jesus Christ? How much more are you called to tell others about it? You know, that's what I taught my kids during VBS, all right? I made them do the memory verses. And I told them, listen, if you don't have the memory verse, if you don't know the Word of God, you don't have anything to share with other people. So I told them, if you memorize the memory verses, all of them, every day, I'm going to give you a Nerf gun, and you can just fire away at me and Elias. And, wow, what a surprise, but they all memorized their memory verses pretty well. <laughs> and as we're covered in Nerf darts, all right, you know, I said, why did we go through all of this? And they all replied, because we, have, we need the word to send to others. You know, just we need this constant refocusing of ourselves and our identities because false spirits want to knock us off of that foundation. 
All right, last week, the reason that you don't see my wife sitting up here right now is because she's in the nursery. Not because it's her turn, but because Ethan has recently started hitting and pinching pretty constantly. And you got to understand that pastors whose family lives and whose kids aren't very well behaved and good, they don't make it very far in the ministry. (laughs) And so we've only been a year here. And there's still a lot I could do to sour the way you see me. All right? And, you know, the question has to be asked, you know, how am I reacting to this? Is it out of fear of what people will think that, wow, they just don't know how to raise their baby? He's a hitter. You know, just, or maybe, do they not discipline? Or then if someone sees us discipline them, it's like, wow, that's too harsh. They shouldn't be doing that. They should just let him be. He'll grow out of that. And I'm thinking, what are people thinking of me, all right? I see other kids. I see wonderful children sitting here. Mine aren't. (laughs) And I'm like, will that be the thing that rules my heart, my fear of what others think? Will that be what I think jeopardizes my ministry? Kim, the same way. What will others think of her as a mother, all right, because of this? And it comes back again and again. For every struggle, for every concern, for every worry that you have, every passing day, there is something that is tugging at you saying, this is your identity. you got to preserve it. you got to watch out for your reputation as a parent, as a worker, as a pastor or a friend. But the reality is that you have one identity that matters. And just like John likes bringing up that bicycle wheel, that identity is the hub of that wheel. And all of these other things that make up who you are are simply spokes. But there is the center, and his name is Jesus. And this verse 6, we are, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. We are called to proclaim Jesus Christ. We're going to have communion in just a second. And the last verse of the passage is, in doing this, you proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until he comes. Every time you take of the bread and the cup, you are preaching the gospel. We're called to do this because that's the only way you'll know what's in your heart. What's in the heart of your loved ones? What's in the heart of your friends and the neighbors? All people we're called to care for. All of those descriptions and everything that I said before. Everyone is a group and a category that we're called to love. All right, even those lousy lawyers that cause so much trouble. All right, we are called to love them. And I'm thinking of the lawyer here, here, here. And just, and, you know, just, you know what I'm saying. There is not a people group and a classification that Scripture does not call us to love and to share the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ with. And in doing this, we don't just simply say and find out what spirit is in them, but we also give them the shining light of the gospel of Jesus. 
And Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. And so, to recap quickly, test the spirits because they're working all around us and they're working in the hearts of those who are near us. And they're working in our hearts. Test your heart, and would you see that the Spirit of Jesus Christ has made his home there? Please bow your heads for a moment as the elders come forth and we just take part in this time of communion.